Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today we read from Revelation chapter 5, and again this goes together with yesterday's chapter 4. These two form a solid unit with one another. The idea of the Trinity, that we worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and really that we are praising Him in paradise. And so what we have in chapter 4, again, as a refresher, was a praise of God for the beauty of his creation. And now in chapter 5, it's going to be praising God for the beauty of his salvation. So we begin chapter 5 here with the reading of the text. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering Myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands sang with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. So we begin here with the right hand of God the Father. And we, we learn of the right hand in Scripture that it is by his righteous right hand that God saves his people. You can find language like that, Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, verse 12. For example, and we think of... Well, today there's a lot more people that are left-handed than there used to be. Societally speaking, historically speaking, uh, right-handedness has been the dominant of the two. And so to the point where in the book of Judges, you get that account of Ehud, the judge, and Eglon, the wicked king. And Ehud is able, as a lefty, he's able to sneak a sword into the king's palace and even into the king's throne room and kill him with it because... Nobody checked that hip, right? You put it on the opposite hip. So nobody checked his right hip for the sword because nobody put their sword there. Everybody at the time was right-handed. They'd just grab it from their left hip or or however that works. And so 
Ehud, because he was a lefty, could do the opposite, and God worked through that to save his people. But that kind of hints at the point here, as we talk about the right hand of God. Jesus himself will be seated at the right hand of God. He is the means by which God saves his people. And that's going to be, again, the theme of the chapter. If you're left-handed, no worries. Um, the Lord has created you and loves you, and yeah, it's a good thing. As we look here, then we have a scroll. So the father seated on his throne. He's going to save. How is he going to save? Well, that's what the scroll is about. The scroll would be God's plan of salvation written within it and outside of it. So you think of a scroll, unlike our books, a scroll is wound up, rolled up. So this scroll, when you unroll it, has been written both front and back, and then it gets rolled up. So it's written everywhere. It's full. The plan of God's salvation is full. It's complete. And then an angel, well, before we get to that, it's sealed with seven seals. And the number seven is perfection. But the connection that Brighton makes for us with this, Dr. Brighton and his commentary, is the idea that in Roman law, the, a person's last will and testament would be sealed with seven seals, and only the legal heir, only the one who would receive all things, is able to open the seals legally. So as we look to this picture of paradise, as we look to the heavenly throne room and this, this last will of God, who can open it? Only the heir. That is only Jesus can do so. Who is worthy? An angel proclaims. No one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open it or look into it. And John knows that this document is important. And so when nobody steps forward to open it, he begins to weep. And one of the elders, one of the heads of the church comes to him and gets him to weep no more and points him to Jesus. And gives several names for Jesus, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. So you think of, of the lion and the power that a lion has. Uh, historically, people have viewed lions as the king of the jungle. So there's that connection. You have uh, Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis goes this route with the lion. You have him being the root of David. The tribe of Judah, he comes from the people of Judah as promised by God in, in the Old Testament. Um, that one of David's descendants would reign on his throne forevermore. So that connects both of those phrases, the root of David, the tribe of Judah. He has conquered. By his death on the cross and his resurrection, he has destroyed sin, death, and the devil. Christ has conquered. And so because he has conquered, he is the rightful heir of creation, of all that God has made. And so he alone can open this scroll and its seven seals. So this all is to teach us to point to Christ's reign, both in the present and in the future. So in the present, Christ reigns, even though the church suffers, even though there is, there is pain as we go about the mission that he gives us to do, Christ reigns. And in the time to come, Christ will reign forevermore as our King and as our Lord, and we will be reigning with him. As we've seen already in the book, uh, the crown of life, we are co-heirs with him. He will seat us on his throne. Um, 
That is something we saw in a couple of the different letters to the churches, the blessings spoken to them. So we come now to verse 6. Between the thrones of the Father, the four living creatures, creation, and among the elders, the church. So among Father, creation, and church, John sees the Lamb standing there in the midst of it all, slain. A reference to Good Friday, to the cross, to the sacrifice of Jesus' own body and blood that saves us. Seven horns, seven again, number of perfection. So seven horns, perfect horns, perfect power. Horns in the animal world are a thing of power, as you think of what an animal would use their horns to do, uh, to fight or to, to hunt, depending on what it is. So God has, Jesus has perfect power over creation and seven eyes. He perfectly oversees. We talked about the, the many eyes yesterday in chapter 4, a reference to God seeing and being able to care for all things within his creation. So Jesus has that as well, the ability to perfectly see and care for all things that God has placed into his care. And we learn here that those seven eyes are the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits, again, a reference to the Holy Spirit. So these, the symbol, symbolism in this book is going to be building upon itself. I will try to reflect as much of that each time. So if you miss a couple episodes, you'll still be able to jump in and, and get it. Um, but you might have to backtrack a little bit. Uh, searching the Bible, either by yourself in your own printed text, or you could use Bible Gateway and just search for keywords. Um, so you could search for seven spirits, and that might help you see which previous chapters we might have talked about a particular phrase in, and you could go back and, and listen that way. It could be helpful. Jesus is the Lamb of God. That connects us to the Passover, to the lambs that were slain in Exodus chapter 12 um, for the the passing over of sin so that God would pass over their homes in the 10th and final plague and the firstborn son of the homes of Israel would not die. Jesus is our Passover lamb. So now God passes over our sin for us. Jesus takes the scroll from the father and he breaks the seal. He opens the seal for us, given to us for comfort, for strength, for encouragement that we may carry out his mission, the mission of the church, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world around us, to share this message of salvation that we're going to be singing about um, to the church, not just the church, but to all people. So as he takes the scroll in verse 8, creation, the creatures, the elders, which is the church, they all fall down and they worship Jesus and they sing. That's the holding of a harp. So they sing as they worship and they pray. The golden bowls of incense, John describes those for us himself, the prayers of the saints. So we worship, we sing, and we pray. And here's what they sang. Here's a song to sing of our Lord. Um, you can Try to put this one to words yourself if you're musical like that. I don't have that talent. If I don't know the, the tune, I can't sing it. But here you have these words, and we've read them already. But Jesus gets to open that 
that scroll. Why? Because he is worthy. He was slain. By his blood, he ransomed the people of God. The cross of Christ, as painful as that was for the Lord, is still such a beautiful thing because of what it means for us, what it did for us, what he did for us there that day. And it wasn't just the tribe of Israel. It wasn't just the Jewish people. It was from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus died for the sins of all people. This wondrous, glorious, glorious thing that that is. And he has made them a kingdom and priest to their God. So we get to be the, the kingdom of God. As, as all the people in the New Testament are looking for their Messiah, they keep thinking he'll establish for them an earthly kingdom. And Jesus will go on to tell Pilate that he has a kingdom that is not of this world. Well, Jesus gives that kingdom of his to us. And we are called to be priests there. Uh, that is to serve the Lord in his house, to care for his house, to care for the things of, of the Lord. And they shall reign on the earth. So what are the things of the Lord? Well, his creation. We get to care for his creation. And then the angels burst into song and... <laughs> The number of them in verse 11, myriad of myriad, thousand of thousand. Who knows how many angels God has created, an incredible number. And they burst into song and they give a sevenfold blessing upon, upon the Lamb, upon Jesus. Uh, a similar blessing is found in chapter 7, verse 12. We'll see that in two days' time. Um, so we get song from creation and from the church and from the angels. And then, verse 13 we have creation again here. Every creature, heaven and on earth, under the earth, sings again to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures, so we've talked about that as creation before, say amen. Truly, indeed. Yes, yes, may it be so. The church and creation and the angels sing praises to the Lord, to the Lamb, to Jesus, for he has saved us. Your conversation uh, theme for the day with your children is how do we praise the Lord for what he has done for us? How do we praise God for saving us? And so we can talk about keeping his word. We saw that with one of the churches a couple of days ago, that they were in, instructed to remember what they have received, remember what they have heard, and to keep it. Although that was a separate church that was told to keep it, I believe. Um, so you have that idea that you then could talk about the salvation that you have been given by God, the gifts that he gives to you in his word and in his sacraments. You can talk about the, the celebration of Holy Week and ultimately concluding with, with good, well, good Friday and then into Easter Sunday. We can talk about worship, going to the Lord's house, receiving his gifts that he gives to us there. We can talk about praising him. We can talk about family devotions as we we spend time in God's word as we read the good news again and again together. We can talk about prayer. We can talk about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with our neighbors. 
Um, just as these who are singing, you know, when they sing these songs, it's being heard by those who sing with them. And as we sing, it is a way that we can proclaim the good news to others. Scripture actually speaks that way. As the Psalms talk of why we are to sing, we are told to sing because it proclaims. Christmas caroling is an example of that. You know, you think of, of the, the history of, of the church in our culture, um, how common it used to be for, for Christians to go around door to door in a neighborhood and sing the good news of Jesus' birth at Christmas time. You don't see as much of that anymore. But it's just another way we can do this. So talk about some ways that you can thank God for saving you. 